This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Last week we started our introduction to our series called The Story. And I told you last week that over the past year we've been pursuing the vision that God's given us as a church to make, to grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. Guys, it's the reason I exist. Hopefully it's part of the reason you exist as well. To make, to grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. Man, I see nothing greater outside of following the Lord, my own personal relationship. It is the greatest thing I see I can do on the face of the earth. I gave you guys three pillars last year, three pillars fulfilling that vision as we began pursuing community, discipleship, and outreach. And I told you that this year we were going to pursue the Word of God, that this was going to be the year of the Word. Can anybody say amen? amen. Some of you, um, who do we have here that finished the Bible, that read the Bible all the way through this year, from cover to cover? Man, all right, quite a few. This year, I'm, oh, not this year. Man, that would have been quick. Woo! Man, I really want to commend anyone who read the Bible through this year. Read the Bible through in 2019. Man, how awesome was that? Many of us read the Chronological uh, Life Application Bible, and, uh, and man, the commentaries in that were outstanding, and man, we just, uh, I think, all learned a lot and grew a lot in that. But, uh, but as I said, that Chronological Life Application Bible, that, man, the commentary was, was as long as the Word, and uh, man, sometimes we'd spend 30 minutes to a, an hour just reading in the Word um, each day. And so um, here's the thing, guys. The Word of God is what brings us life. And it's our instruction manual, and it's the standard by which everything in life is measured by. So we can't take it even the littlest bit for granted. Trying to live the Christian life, I told you this last week, trying to live the Christian life without the Word of God is like trying to build a house without plans and without a tape measure. Doesn't do you much good, does it? You're going to end up with something. You build a house without plans or tape measure, you're going to end up with something, but it's going to be a dilapidated mess. How many of you would say that your life at points has been a dilapidated mess? But the Word of God is what fills in the gaps. The God, Word of God is what we need. So in 2020, this will be the year that Church of the Harvest engages in the Word like never before. And I've told you we're going to do something a bit different than we've ever done. And I'll go into that more as we continue. But I want to read these stats again. How many of you remember the stats from last week? And I, I'm just right now trying to... Trying to uh, inspire you guys understand the importance of the word recent study and we found that we, we looked it up this study was of over 400,000 people they found that people who engage in the word of God at least four times a week they found that feelings of loneliness dropped by 30 percent they found that anger issues dropped by 32 percent bitterness in relationships dropped 40 percent get this alcoholism dropped 57 percent just by being engaged in the word four times or more per week Feelings of spiritual stagnancy dropped 60%. How many of you ever felt spiritually stagnant before? You're going, where's God? Where did he go? We got to get back engaged in his word. Viewing pornography dropped 62%. Sharing the gospel, this gets me, sharing the gospel increased 200% in those who were engaged in God's word four times a week or more. Guys, if we are going to be church of the harvest, it sounds like we need to get into his word. Lastly, they found that discipling others increased 
and 30%. Those who are engaged in the Word four times more a week were 230 times more likely to engage in discipling other people for the Lord. Guys, this fulfills those pillars, community, discipleship, outreach. If we're going to fulfill those things, after I look at this, I go, you know what we need? The number one thing we need is the Word of God. And as I told you guys last week, most people don't crack, out the, crack open the Bible outside of Sunday morning. And some don't even then. But I gave you a scripture last week that one of our elders, Zach, had given me from the English Standard Version, Psalm 107, verse 20. He says, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Now, I told you when I first read this, I thought it was saying that God did three things. He sent his word, he healed them, and he delivered them from their destruction. But when I went back and read it in different versions and stuff, I believe what it's saying is that he sent his word. And as a result... They were healed, and they were delivered from their instruction. Guys, the Word of God is sharp and powerful. It is the only book we're going to find that is alive. It is the very words of God. Many of you said last week that you would, um, that you would like to understand the Bible better, but sometimes you find it challenging. Well, I have just made a vow that this year we are going to focus on giving you the tools to be able to engage in God's Word and understand it like never before. And we talked last week, we spent a little while talking about reasons the Bible can be a little difficult to follow sometimes. We even talked about the chronology and the way things are written. I gave you guys the example of, of the Mona Lisa in, uh, in the Louvre. One small painting, very valuable, but it's one small painting, but it's disconnected from every other piece of art in that huge art museum. And then I gave you the example of the creation of Adam the cover, that covers the Sistine Chapel and how there's over 300 characters and it tells the entire story of redemption all the way from the beginning to the end. It's a huge mural, and that's what we need to view the Bible as. The Bible is a mural. And I gave you two points as I finished out last week. One, the Word of God is a mural that tells a single story. And secondly, once you see the story, it will change your life. So there's some things that we need to know before we really engage in the Word, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I told you, when I, when I told you last week that that uh, I, I personally believe that most Christians don't ever crack open their Bible outside of Sunday, I actually found a stat. And the stats say that the average American family owns, guess how many Bibles? Four. The average American Bible, the average American family owns four Bibles. But 41% of those families confess to have never read it. 41%. Confess to have never read it. And research also went on to say that most people, not just people who go to church, but most people, more than not, have reading the Bible on their bucket list. One day before I kick the bucket, I'm going to read the Word of God. But that's on that same bucket list. It's up there with climbing Mount Everest and jumping out of a plane. And somehow they see those other two things as more attainable than reading the Word of God. They're more likely to go after the other two than they are the Word. In February, we're starting a 31-week series. Man, that's a long one. Glad we don't do CD cases anymore because that mug would be like, <laughs> it'd be like that thick. We're going to start a 31-week series called The Story. And right now we are on the second week of the introduction to this. And I'm going to read you from Deuteronomy chapter 31. We read this last week about how Moses put a law in place. Right before he died, Moses is, he's a bit concerned about the people going astray. He knows his days are numbered. He knows his life's about to come to an end. And so he puts this in place. And so here's what he said. 
So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to the elders, all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, in the year for canceling debts, during the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read the law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, children, and foreigners residing in your towns, so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and must learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So go ahead and put up for me, if you would, put up the slide of the, uh, of the Old Testament books, if you would. Guys, here we see what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Moses is setting a new pattern for the children of Israel to follow. Like I say, Moses is about to pass away. And what is this pattern that he sets in place? He sets in place this thing and says, every seven years, all of Israel, men, women, and children, everybody, are to gather together. Everybody, even the foreigners living in their camps, are to get together and read the Word of God. Got that? Now, they didn't have the Bible like we have it today, right? It was, they didn't have printing presses. It was handwritten. The priests had it. So what did they do? Every seven years, the whole nation would gather together, and the priests would read the law before the people. It says, to their hearing. And so they would all listen as they read the law. Now, all they had was the first five books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which is referred to, we talked about last week, as what? The, the books of the law, the Pentateuch. That's what they would read. And so they began doing this in the days of Joshua. We know that when Moses, right before Moses died, he passed the baton to Joshua, right? And, uh, and so Joshua was the one who really instituted this. Moses put it in place, and then Joshua runs with it. And so in this season, during Joshua's life, the children of Israel did a great job. They were focused on God's story, and they sought to align their lives with him. And as a result, they were greatly blessed. I mean, this was considered their glory days as they, uh, as they did what God had commanded them to do. And here we're reminded of the same principle, that when we align ourselves with God's word, we will, we will experience the blessings that God has intended for us as well. So, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, people come to us and they want counsel because they're struggling. Maybe they're struggling financially. Maybe they're struggling in their relationships. Maybe they're struggling in their health. Maybe they're struggling with stress. Maybe they're struggling in sin. Maybe they feel like they just can't get a break. You ever been there? Well, one of the first questions that we need to ask, and we do sometimes, is how much time are you spending in God's Word? Guys, usually the answer is, oh, well, I'm not, or I don't have the time right now, or I'm not doing it like I know I should. Usually the answer is no, I'm not spending time in God's Word. But after the time of Joshua, we know that the children of Israel, their commitment to the Lord began to wane, didn't it? And, it, and their commitment to God's Word began to decline. 
And after Joshua, we find that their commitment to the Lord was on again and off again and on again and off again. And they were in trouble and out of trouble and in trouble and out of trouble. And something would happen and they would run to the Lord and he would deliver them and then they would slip back up again and fall into trouble again. And they would seek after the Lord again. And it was just this back and forth, wasn't it? Back and forth and back and forth. So that takes us from Joshua to the book of Judges. So that's what we find in Judges. In Judges, the children of Israel are on again and off again. Their relationship with the Lord is waning, back and forth, back and forth. And then we get to the kings. Now, who are the first three kings of Israel? Saul, David, Solomon. First three kings. We know that Saul started out strong. And the problem is he finished out weak. So he started out the way that things should be, but he let things slip as it went on, and uh, he did not keep the people in God's word. As a result, God replaces Saul with who? David. And David was a great king, and he turned the hearts of the people back to the Lord, and he returned them to those glory days during the time of, uh, of Joshua. And we know that the monarchy of Saul is recorded in 1 Samuel and uh, in and the monarchy of David is recorded in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. So the people are on again, off again. David comes along. He gets things back in place. And, uh, and then David finally passes the crown to who? To Solomon. Solomon also started strong. But he ended weak. And Solomon, the problem he had was he started... Um, Probably for political reasons, he started marrying foreign women, which violated the law of God. And, um, and probably to try to expand the kingdom and, and different things like that. And so um, these foreign women that he started marrying started introducing their foreign gods, violating the law of God. And so um, the children of Israel start waning again and uh, their commitment to them. And uh, they stopped gathering to align themselves with God's word again during the reign of Solomon. Solomon's reign is covered in uh, 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. So things get so bad after Solomon that God steps in and we know he brings his discipline and he divides the nation into two weaker nations, right? What was the northern kingdom called? Israel. And the southern kingdom was called? Judah. Y'all know your word. So he divides them into these two weaker kingdoms. So during the divided kingdom, this is covered in 2 Kings and uh, in 2 Chronicles. And we see during this time, during the divided kingdom, uh, the Bible tells us that only five of the 43 kings were aligned with God's word. Can we see why things went badly for them? Five of 43 kings were aligned with God's word. The rest of them, the Bible says, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this was repeated over and over and over again in 2 Kings. This is one of those places that you'll find as we go through the story. This is one of those areas where the narrator jumps in and doesn't cover every evil king because they just came one after another, after another, after another. It'll say the next so many kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it moves on from there. So after this, things continue to get worse for the children of Israel. And we go into the Captivity. Everybody say captivity. It was around the year 605 that uh, everything came crashing down. And we know that they got so far away from God's word that God allows the Babylonians to come in. And the Babylonians, they burned Jerusalem. And, uh, and they burned down this, 
incredible temple that, uh, that Solomon had, uh, had built for the Lord. And they were exiled into Babylon for 70 years, at which point God would organize uh, their return. But you know what was really awesome, if you go and look at it, as they're captured, as Jerusalem is burning and they're being taken captive and being taken, before they even leave Jerusalem, God promises that in 70 years he'll begin to bring them home. We serve a God of second chances. So, 70 years is up, and the people start returning. After 70 years of captivity, they start returning. And the first group returns around 538 B.C. Anybody know the guy who led them in that return initially? His name was Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begins to bring them home and to rebuild the temple. And uh, 80 years later, a second group begins to return, and, uh, and something quite unexpected happens then. So they've been delivered into captivity. 70 years has gone by. The first group has begun, of exiles have begun to come back. 80 years later, the next group begins to come back. And, uh, and these events are recorded. If you look on down, they're recorded in um, Ezra and Nehemiah. So get this. A couple of years after the second group returns, in the year 444, it was in the seventh month, something special happens. And it's important to note that while they were in captivity, while they were in Babylon, they weren't gathering together for the reading of the word. You got that? Some of them had gone, been gone 70 years. No gathering to read the word. Some of them had gone 80 more years than that. No gathering to hear the word of the Lord. So what that means is somewhere around 150 years had passed. And the people were starved for God's word. They were spiritually deprived. And if you look at that, that means somewhere between, because how many, every how many years did they meet? Every seven years they met together. So if 150 years had passed since they had read God's word, since they had gathered to hear God's word, that's 20 to 21 cycles, right? 20 to 21 times they should have met. I think that's somewhere around four generations, so if you were there when Israel was initially taken captive in, in Jerusalem, if you were there, then that would mean that you and your children and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, were all spiritually deprived, had not been able to get into God's Word. They didn't have, each have four Bibles in their homes. They didn't have any Bibles in their homes. There was no way for them to be in Babylon and hear from God's word. So 150 years later, they're back in Jerusalem, and now they're a broken people. They have suffered a lot over 150 years, and they decide to get their lives back on track. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of this message talking about. And if you have a Bible on, you can turn to the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to read from Nehemiah chapter 7. Um, if, you, uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can read along on the screen or you can use the YouVersion Bible app. If you go to More and hit Events, you'll see uh, the notes are listed in there on your mobile device. But what did the people do? What did the people do? So they've been gone for 150 years. They hadn't heard God's word. They're back home, and here's what happens. Nehemiah chapter 7, go to verse 73. And it says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, they're back home, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord 
had commanded for Israel. You see what's happened here? The people are brought back from captivity. They finally made it home. It says they finally settled back in their towns after 150 years. They've settled back into the homes of their great-grandparents. And what is the first thing we see them do here? They call for Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. They said, go get us God's word. Now, Ezra wasn't instigating this. It's not Ezra trying to get the people together and saying, come on, guys, let's gather together. We need to read from God's word. It was the people instigating this. Do you see it? It's the people. They're placing a demand on Ezra. And they're saying, go get God's word. I was thinking about this. I don't know if you've ever ministered before, if you've ever spoken to a small group or a community group or whatever it may be, or delivered a message to, of, the, of the gospel to somebody. But guys, it is a privilege to stand up and speak in front of people who are hungry for God's word. And let me tell you, guys, Sunday morning is great. But let's be honest. Not everybody comes in hungry and ready for God's word. Sometimes we don't. And frankly, sometimes people come to church out of obligation. Sometimes people come to church because they kind of feel manipulated, maybe by a family member or somebody, and don't come in stirred up and ready to receive from God. You know what I'm saying? What I'm talking about? That's why things like camps or conferences or nights of worship tend to be so powerful. Because people come in and they're stirred up and they're ready to go. This isn't a Sunday morning service they feel obligated to be at. This is something out of the ordinary. This is a gathering to get into God's presence, to hear from God's word, whatever it may be. And so they come in already stirred up and ready to go. That's why it's hard. Lauren will tell you, leading worship. Sometimes it's tough. You can tell when people are stirred up and when they're ready to go. You can tell when people have been worshiping the Lord on their way to church and when they hadn't. Sometimes you stand up here in worship and it feels like you're just stirring a pot of mud. You're going, come on, guys. Come on. Everybody's just staring at you. And you're just singing your heart out. Come on, come on. And everybody's just standing there like a bump on a log. And then you got other times when you can tell people have been in God's presence and they walk into this place already stirred up and ready to go. And I can just imagine, can you imagine Ezra in this moment? as the people put this demand on them and said, go get us the word of the Lord. So just as Moses had instructed 950 years earlier, all the men, women, and children gathered together to go through God's word, and it was instigated by the people, not by the ministers. It wasn't instigated by the priests or the Levites. And notice that they did it during the seventh month. Uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll get to that in a minute. So look what happens going to verse 5, Nehemiah 8, verse 5. And it says, so Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. He was on a podium. Back then they had, um, they had kind of uh, pedestals where an orator would speak. And so he's standing above them on maybe a kind of little stage thing. And the nation is gathered together, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Ezra opens the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, what happened? The people all stood up. How many of them stood up? All of them. Now, how many of you have ever been to church where the minister said, let's all rise for the reading of the Word of God? 
Guys, this is where this comes from. This is where it comes from. But there's a difference in this situation. In that situation, we see the minister instigating it. In this one, the people were so stirred up and ready for God's word that the whole nation stood on their feet when he simply opened the book. He opened the book, and they rose. Y'all should stand up. No, I'm just kidding. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. They all stood up. They were all so hungry for the word that they stood up together on their own. Guys, that had to give Ezra chills. Because look what it says in verse 6. Immediately, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. Ezra starts shouting. He starts praising the Lord. Going, wow, you got to be kidding. And it says, and all the people lift their hands and responded, amen, amen. And they all bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Guys, this is before a word was ever read. The book was just opened. Ezra's, the people all stand. Ezra's praising God. The people all start shouting amen, and they all fall on their faces before God when the book of the law is just opened before them. Where are we at? Ezra was so moved, he bursts into praise. The people all shouting amen, planting their faces on the ground. When your heart is tilled and soft before the Lord, before you get into his word, you can expect something great. That's why when you go to open up the Bible and you go to read each day, the very first thing you should say is, Holy Spirit, I believe this word is active and alive, and I ask you to speak the words that you want to speak to me through it. Pierce my heart. Show me what you want to show me. Lead and direct me. Bring understanding to me that I didn't previously have. So then we see something else cool taking place. If you go to verse, um, where are we at? Verse 7. Then the Levites... Forgive me, I am not going to say all their names. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Now, a couple things I I see in this. One, I, I read, they believe that this went on for five to six hours. And there's no indication that they ever sat down, guys. And you think an hour and a half is a long service. Five to six hours, they stood there and heard from God's word. Uh, The next thing we see is, it mentions there in verse 7 and 8, that the Levites, these are the priests and the, the, the spiritual leaders, they break them into small groups. Why? Because there was thousands and thousands and thousands of them. So Ezra would stand up there on the podium and he would shout God's, God's law. He would shout it out. And Levites would be there to explain and answer questions and bring understanding to what was being said to them. Do you see this? First example we see of community groups. So how did the people respond to this experience in God's word? I'm going to give you three things. I believe it's in your notes. First thing they did was, it says, they wept. How did they respond to God's word? They wept. So, and that's in verse 9, Nehemiah 8, verse 9. It says, and all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Guys, Ezra's reading this word. The Levites are explaining it. They've been spiritually deprived for 150 years, and they're weeping as they hear these words. 
Can y'all see that these are hungry people? I'm sure they were weeping. I'm sure there were many reasons as I was thinking about this. They were probably weeping for the lost years and the times that they had not been able to receive from God's Word and be spiritually nourished. I'm sure they were weeping as he was reading because, as I said a minute ago, they discovered that God is a God of second chances. I believe they were probably weeping because they had a new opportunity to take what God was offering and to change their lives from what it had been previously. But it also says that they were weeping so loudly, if you read on, it says they're weeping so loudly that Nehemiah, who was, Nehemiah was like the governor during that time, Nehemiah steps in and he finally has to tell them to stop weeping. He said, go home, get some food, share, share a meal with your family. And that's what they did. That's number two. Number two, they shared a meal as a family and discussed God's word. We see in verse 12, it says, Then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. Guys, they, they went home and it says they celebrated with great joy. And I believe they were sitting around that table as families and they're sharing this meal and they're so excited. They're celebrating because they now understood God's law. They understood God's word. And the last thing I see that they do there, number three, is they applied what they were told. They applied what they were told. They did what James instructed in the New Testament. They decided they weren't just going to be hearers of the word, but they were going to be what? Doers of the word. That's what it's all about. And you'll notice it goes on. It says, um, I'm not going to read it, but it says in verse uh, 13, it says that the heads of the family actually come together to Ezra. And, um, and they basically said, you know, as you were reading the law, we understood that the Festival of Tabernacles is coming up. It says, remember, it's in the seventh month. It just happened to fall at the same time. They hadn't celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles in 150 years. And so as he's reading the law, they realize, oh, it's time for that festival. And so they said, why don't we do that too? Let's, let's, let's celebrate it. And so they did. They celebrated the Feast of, Feast of Tabernacles. And we talked about that a couple months ago. I talked a little bit about the Feast of Tabernacles with you guys. But basically, basically it was a week-long camp out. They would move out of their homes. They would go outside. They would pitch a tent. And, um, and it was so they would keep God's Word uh, in their hearts. They would live outside of their houses in these tents. And they would tell stories of God's goodness. They would talk about how they had been delivered from Egypt. They would talk about how, how they you know, were delivered from slavery. They would talk about how, can you imagine them talking about how their shoes and clothes lasted for 40 years. Talk about how God provided them water and food, manna in the middle of the desert. They would discuss these things as they're out there living in these tents. They'd discuss how God delivered them from their enemies time and time and time again. All these stories carrying the lesson that the God who took care of them in the wilderness is the same God who takes care of them today. Same God of the law back then is the same God of the word that we read today. And by the way, I was going to mention, when they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, y'all know they pitch in the tents and all that, they, the whole deal, they still do that today. And uh, some of you here were with us a couple of months ago in Israel, and um, our uh, tour guide, Alan Harkavy, posted a couple of pictures on Facebook um, a couple of months ago um, of... Um, some of the tents uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles that, that families uh, pitched. And that's where they would go and they would stay out there outside for the week-long Feast of Tabernacles and celebrate the word of the Lord in their lives. So how did, how did Israel do? How did they 
approached the Feast of Tabernacles? Do you think it was half-hearted? Guys, we don't see anything half-hearted in what they are doing at this point in their history. They didn't have a let's get this over with attitude. They jumped in with all their heart. And it says in verse 17, look at this. Verse 17, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. There was, and their joy was very great. Isn't that something? They returned back to the glory days, back in the days of Joshua and David. And we're reminded that we engage in God's word, it brings us joy. How many of you in here would say that you need a little bit more joy in your life? Guys, the Word of God is the source of our joy. And that's what we're doing for 31 weeks. We're going to get into the story, and we're going to replicate what is done here in Nehemiah chapter 8. And let me say this. This is something I thought of last night. I jotted down. Man, it gives me chills to see the way they responded to the Word of God. That's incredible. They were so excited. But guys... We have the fulfillment of the law that they were reading and so excited about. We have the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. We're under the dispensation of grace. We have Jesus. How much more excited should we be when the book of the word of the Lord is opened than even the Israelites were in that day? We have so much more to celebrate than they ever did. Unfortunately, it becomes commonplace to us sometimes. We've got to get back to God's Word. When is the last time that you dug into the Word of the Lord and you were so open and vulnerable that you allowed it to pierce you and you found yourself weeping before the Lord? When is the last time that you shared a meal and you actually sat around a table and discussed the Word rather than, I don't know, the latest sports stats, whatever it may be? When is the last time that you actually stopped and applied the word of the Lord to your life? That Maybe where you receive at this point in your life most of the word of the Lord, maybe it is in church on Sunday morning. When's the last time you went home and you meditated on the word of the Lord that we discussed on Sunday morning and you applied it to your life and you said, Lord, what is it you would have me do? We have got to position our hearts like we see the children of Israel. We've got to get hungry again for the word of God. So action steps. I'm going to give you a couple things here real quick. This is what we're seeking to do as I close with, uh, with, with the story. We want to fully engage with God through his word and through prayer, which we're starting tomorrow, 20 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, so I've given you four things, and it's in your, on your note sheet. Number one, personally, we want you to read and study each chapter for yourself. Somebody say, that means me. I'm not talking about Sunday morning. I'm not talking about listening to a sermon. I'm not talking about listening to a podcast or watching Christian TV. We want you to get in there. Like I say, this is the summary of God's word in the NIV version. 31 chapters. We want you to get in and we want you to read each and every chapter for yourself. And this is an assignment for everybody in the family. And I started, I didn't actually show you guys the book last week, the books last week. We had them for sale at the table. I think we are out now. We're taking orders. We have a big shipment coming in this week. But guys, starting with the very young ones, this is just basically a Bible in pictures, has 31 chapters to follow along that you can read with your children. This is for younger elementary children. Y'all, you guys saw that on the, um, 
On our Christmas service, we read from this, and you saw the pictures on the screen. This is for younger elementary kids. 31 chapters follows along exactly the same ones that you would follow along with as an adult. The story for older elementary children, 31 chapters. A little bit longer, a little bit more in depth for them to read along. We have the student copy for teenagers and young adults for them to be able to follow along in the 31 chapters. And then we've got the story for adults. And um, we don't have any of these left. We don't have any left. But you can sign up at the Connection Desk, and we'll have some to you next week. 31 chapters. And what we're going to do is we're going to read. I told you it was going to be a 31-week series, and we're going to follow along right on that. And with that in mind, too, we also have got the, uh, the story study guide. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, there's a couple other resources as well. I'm just going to feature this one right now. But in this study guide, it allows you to go a little bit deeper to answer some questions about the reading each week. And, um, and there's something kind of cool that actually I'll get to in just a second. But that's personally. We want each person to read and study each chapter each week for yourself. And in a couple weeks, we're going to give you a calendar and let you know what each Sunday and each chapter is. Secondly, your home. We want you to talk about God's Word around a meal. How many of you guys still eat? as a family around the dinner table. Guys, we don't very often. We're busy. We do sometimes. We try. But guys, there is something about being gathered around the dinner table. And so one cool thing I wanted to mention to you guys about this study guide is each week with each chapter, it's got, it ends with a, a question, a discussion question. And so what we're going to do is we're going to create, we're going to make an incentive so here's the question for, uh, for one of the weeks for, for chapter 12. Uh, what are different ways that the Lord is showing his love and grace each day that we don't deserve it? So there's a question for that week. What we want you to do is talk about God's word around a meal. So here's the incentive we're going to offer. I'm going to create a Facebook page in a couple of weeks. And I'm, I don't know, I don't know exactly what I'm going to going to call it maybe meals together, harvest meals together or something. But I want you guys to take a picture of you and your family, whoever it is in your household, eating a meal together, discussing the question from the book for that week. And if you take that picture and post it on that Facebook page, once a month, we're going to do a drawing for a gift card so that your family can go out and have dinner together. So just once a week, post a picture on there, and once a month, we're going to do that drawing. But we want you each week to follow along the study guide and, and discuss that question around a meal, and at least one time a week. Can, can you get your family together one time a week? I, I, we might, yeah, Shauna said. As many as you can, get them together and discuss. Thirdly is community. Join a community group to discuss what you're learning. Uh, some of our community groups are going to be discussing the story specifically. Others will be going specifically into other things in God's, other parts of God's Word. But everybody needs to be part of a community group. In three weeks, I believe, we'll have our small group Sunday, and we'll be discussing the upcoming community groups for, um, for this year, for the spring. But we want each person to join a community group. We need each other. We need each other to walk alongside and do life together, hold each other accountable, and be an encouragement. Lastly is worship. We want you to attend the Sunday morning church service each week. Attend that Sunday morning church service each week. Each week we're going to give a message on the chapter. So you'll know that this, this week, it's the first week of February, February 2nd, you're going to know that that's chapter 1. Week 1, we want you to read chapter 1. 
When you want you to read it with your children. We want you to discuss the discussion question. When we get to church on Sunday morning, I'm going to teach a message on chapter 1 and summarize God's Word and what it was saying through that first portion of Scripture. And we believe that if you engage in all of these personally, in your home, in your community, and then on Sunday morning in worship, we believe that it's going to have a huge impact in 31 weeks. Guys, the desire that God has placed within me is to have every attender of Harvest, every member of Harvest, get re-engaged in God's Word again. Some of, us, some of us have lost our first love. We forget and we neglect God's Word, and it is the foundation of our life. And so that's what I'm believing at the end of this 31 weeks, that there's going to be a new hunger, a new desire in you than ever before, a new zeal for God's Word. We're going to find ourselves looking a little bit more like the children of Israel on this day when Ezra brings out and opens the Word of the Lord. That's what I'm believing for. How about you guys? It's time for us to get back in the Word. Let's all stand together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. But as you stand, let's just close our eyes together. Just meditate on the Lord for just a moment. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your Word, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and you are true. We worship you. We praise your name, God. We worship you. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Guys, you have, may have read the Bible together. You may have read the Bible from cover to cover. You may have done it a dozen times. But at the same time, you may recognize that you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus. Guys, it is the first step. You can't expect to understand God's word without being surrendered to Jesus and having the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. So guys, I don't care if you've ever prayed a prayer to receive Jesus or not. With every head bowed, if that's you and you would say, I've got to get things right today. I need to surrender my life to him. I just want you to lift your hand before the Lord. Nobody's looking. Who would say, I need to get my life right before the Lord this morning? Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. We're going to pray. It doesn't matter if you're here, if you're watching online. There's no distance in the spirit. You're not praying to us. You're praying to him anyway. The Bible says that if you mean this with all your heart, that you're saved, that you become a new creation. It doesn't mean all your problems go away, but it means the creator of the universe is now the one that's going to carry the load. He's going to walk alongside you, and he's going to carry those things. And you're going to know that he's always got your back. And you're going to know that when you take your final breath in this life, that you're going to open your eyes and you're going to see the face of Jesus smiling at you. And he's going to welcome you home. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. Without him, I am lost and alone. I have no hope whatsoever. I've tried to do things in my own strength for far too long. I thought I knew it all, but I fail miserably every time. So today, 
Jesus, I declare that you are Lord of my life. I believe that you're the Son of God and that you came in my place, you lived my life, a perfect life, and you died my death. You took my judgment and my sin and my shame and my sickness. You took it all and you took it to the grave. You paid my price. You paid my penalty. And I am forever grateful. So today, I ask you, Jesus, to be Lord of my life. Lead and guide me in every step. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.